Tucked into the center of Colorado and stretching south to the border of New Mexico is a high-altitude desert about the size of Connecticut, known as the San Luis Valley. 14,000-foot mountains loom all around. The Great Sand Dunes National Park runs along its eastern flank. This is the world's largest alpine valley and receives, on average, less than eight inches of rain a year. Water is a precious resource. But the valley faces another threat that often doesn't make the headlines like water does. I remember we were driving back from Denver uh, Airport and coming back into the valley, and I was like, oh, the rain clouds. And then I was like, no, no, it's fire. And then I finally realized, oh, it is just wind debris picked up in the valley floor, and it was a complete gray and brownout. Like, it was just, yeah, it was gross. And yeah, I think they were having between 60 to 80 mile an hour, like fairly consistent winds, not just gusts, like fairly consistent and just moving large pieces of debris. So that was one of those days that you, uh, yeah, you feel rather depressed. The valley has always had these dust storms for as long as humans have been there. The problem now is that as water dwindles, temperatures warm, a multi-decade drought rages on, and people continue altering the landscape, dust is increasing. Some air pollution might be easy to ignore because it's invisible. But seeing a wall of dust makes it hard to look away. Whether it's the particulate matter itself or what is attached to it, breathing in dust can have immediate and long-term respiratory and health impacts. So here I am, driving down a dirt road with Kyler Brown, a farmer and rancher talking about the air. I grew up in the Midwest, outside of St. Louis, Missouri, and our farm was on the southern tip of Illinois that my dad was raised on. And I was a fairly suburban child, but I always loved the outdoors and just my mom teased I wore spurs to kindergarten. Yeah, I just always just wanted to be a cowboy and kind of follow those pursuits out west. And once I came out west, I knew this is where I wanted to be. Kyler went to college in Colorado, which is where he met his wife, Emily, whose family is from the valley. And we lived in Nevada for a while and bounced around the west. And then we've come back here to help her family farm potatoes and barley, and I run some cows on the side. When I lived in Nevada, I teased that the three seasons were winter, wind, and heat. And so I, if you've lived in Wyoming or the Texas Panhandle or anywhere in the western United States, you've experienced a lot of wind. But now it is becoming as such that our landscape is now being arid enough that it is picking up dirt. I won't say soil, but dirt. and and, and moving it around. The problem here is we help it. Intensive farming practices over the years, mixed with things like not planting cover crops, or compaction from heavy farm equipment, or overusing chemical products, can all deplete the soil. Add in that farming, in general, drains nutrients over time. So what's left behind is what Kyler calls just plain old dirt. It can take up to a thousand years for an inch of topsoil to form naturally. 
As I sit with Kyler in his truck, watching his father-in-law turn over the barley that they just harvested, he reflects on his experience of a bad air day. It's almost gray, like it almost looks like smoke instead of dirt. And those days, it's nice. We have a, a river property where I run my cows. It's nice to go to a place that has perennial grasses and that's surrounded by water and to have things that are just more anchored, that are not able to blow so hard. But even that refuge is slowly withering away as those cottonwood galleries die and we clean up branch after branch after dead tree after dead tree. All those trees are cratering because the Rio Grande is cratering and that whole alluvial system is changing. So even that is, is kind of like, oh, I'm starting to feel wind and see dirt fly over on the river. Kyler sees the conundrum that he, his family, and his neighbors are up against. Growing food means they are impacting the land and depleting water. And that has ripple effects. The same way our actions that contribute to warming temperatures has ripple effects from around the globe to our backyard. If you care about having topsoil, no farmer wants to till away their topsoil and have it blow in the air. So yeah, the more days you have like that, the more you have to just grim and bear it and you can't pick and choose. Like there, You are a race against the clock. But at the same time, if you can skip a day that is horribly windy and not be in a tractor cab doing that, I think most guys and gals choose to. Just how many days are there of those? Farming is one of the riskiest businesses out there. Whether it's financial or weather or water availability or crop disease or a farmer's health. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, farming, fishing, and forestry have the highest fatality rates of any occupation. In terms of like personal health or individual health, I've started to try to wear, you know, ear protection when I'm around a running tractor and working on it. Or I've tried to wear, you know, eye protection when I'm banging on a piece of metal or using a fungicide. And I've tried to, you know, wear gloves and things like this. I don't know how many times I've stood on the boom of a tractor, you know, perched 22 feet in the air, taking a logging chain and trying to pick up some extremely heavy metal object and fix it because it's tearing loose or whatever. And we just go, ah, that's just a risk you take. It's just normal. So when you add like dust or smoke, I don't know any farmers that say, oh, well, it's a red flag day, so I won't be breathing the smoke particulates. You know, no, they're still out there just doing their thing. And so I think some folks take more precautions than others, but in general, you have to just have a kind of disregard for some sort of personal health and safety because you have a job to do, and the job is a dangerous one. Not only do sand and dust storms impact the economics of farming by reducing a crop's ability to grow, but they also impact the health of farmers. 
a group of people who already face tremendous risk. And while research and data collection are limited in the Valley, people are trying to change that. My name is Kristen Uhlenbrock. From our podcast, Laws of Notion, this is a bonus episode of Clearing the Air, the hazy future of our skies. A series about the state of air in Colorado and how we are navigating this complex problem that knows no borders. Air quality brings us to our knees in terms of having horrible days where we're we're feeling like we're boxed inside, we can't get out, our eyes are burning, our noses are burning, our throats are burning, we're coughing, and those who have underlying conditions are feeling even more miserable. So it brings us to that we all have to work together because we are all impacting one another. We all share this airspace. This is Dr. Lisa Secuto. She was in episodes one and two of this season. She is the Director of Community Outreach and Research at National Jewish Health and a professor at CU Anschutz. Lisa has spent significant time in the San Luis Valley. I have been working there for 18 years. I'm known as the asthma lady down there. And they would say, Lisa, our problem with our lungs is because of the dust. When Lisa first started working in the region, she knew there were myriad public health challenges facing the community from substance abuse to chronic illness to mental health. Also, studies indicate that residents have an elevated mortality rate and a reduced life expectancy. The entire six-county region is federally identified as being medically underserved. Access to health care is much more difficult there. When it comes to public health, Lisa emphasizes that social and environmental effects can greatly determine someone's health outcomes, whether it's factors like noise and stress or access to food and resources. And this is especially true for many residents of the Valley who experience a poverty rate double to triple the state average, depending on the county. Now add in the threat of air pollution from particulate matter. They often are getting more exposure to dust. Dust storms tend to happen there more. They're a place of agriculture, intense agriculture. Sadly, we use a lot of pesticides and herbicides in treating those. So the exposure that they're getting also includes a lot of pesticides and herbicides. Um, We know that those have negative impacts. The other thing is that they don't have access to the resources that we do in cities. So they don't have specialty care. After a few years of working in the Valley and spending time listening to the community, Lisa paired up with a colleague, Kathy James, an engineer from the University of Colorado who was also working in the region. Together, they began looking at hospitalizations and particulate matter data, commonly referred to as PM2.5 or PM10, which refers to the size of the particle. So, What we did note is that when they do have those dust storms, we see two to three days later that individuals are more likely to be hospitalized and have urgent care visits. And those who we saw the increase in most dramatically 
were individuals with asthma, particularly children, but all individuals with asthma, those with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD, but also individuals who don't have underlying chronic lung issues, but they were in because of lung health-related issues such as pneumonia, bronchitis. Lisa and her research colleagues found that childhood asthma rates are at 14% in the Valley, which is medically significant and higher than the U.S. average of 12%. Particulates are harmful because they can get deep into your lungs, and they also can carry pollutants. And we are horrible at understanding what is on the dust. So in rural Colorado, they want to know how much pesticide or herbicide is on the dust. It's very expensive to look at what is on the dust. So often it doesn't get done. We have learned from the wars in the Middle East and that we know that a lot of servicemen were exposed to dust. And through that, the Department of Defense has funded research to look at dust. And what we have also found is that the what we call morphometry of the dust. And morphometry really talks to or is highlighting how the dust may be in terms of its coarseness. Does it have a lot of jagged edges? So it's really sharp. The jagged edges are more shearing or can cause more trauma to the linings of our airways. So looking and understanding what's on the dust is extremely important, but it is a huge limitation that we have. The thing about dust storms is that they are understudied, primarily because of the lack of a monitoring network, long-term data collection, and dedicated resources. There is only one monitor in Alamosa and another one at the Great Sand Dunes National Park. That's two for the entire valley. They don't have some of the benefits in terms of monitoring. In Denver, we have a lot of monitors setting up. We know what's going on in our environment in in certain neighborhoods. It's not equal, but we have a pretty good idea in our area what is going on. Our roads are monitored. They are not in rural areas, so they don't really know what's going on. They rely on looking out to see if, if it looks clear or it doesn't look clear, so they're really relying on visibility, and we know that that is insufficient. But researchers are calling attention to this problem because dust is expected to increase with climate change and the aridification it causes. The work that is happening in the Valley is important because it's helping identify solutions and education for the community. Ground cover is extremely important in these areas because it helps keep the dust down. And ground cover can be the plants, but also in the winter where these areas are, it involves snow. So it's important that we understand the the weather and how weather changes influence how much dust we're actually going to be having in our environment, in the air. Whether it's local dirt being picked up on a windy day or smoke traveling from afar, to solve air pollution, the world of particulate matter matters. Dust is incredible in terms of how much it can travel. It can travel hundreds of thousands of miles. For example, there was a massive Canadian wildfire that blanketed much of the U.S. in smoke starting in May 2023 and lingering into the summer. We had really high exposure to particulate matter. We saw that we really had that oozing kind of orangey glowing 
we couldn't really see, it was gray, you had that ominous feeling. That was related to all of the particulate matter that had traveled thousands of miles. The other thing that we are learning is that dust that travels from wildfire thousands of miles, what, what can happen in the air is it can actually become more toxic to us. It gets finer, um, it evolves over those thousands of miles and can actually be more toxic. So we're just starting to understand that. But to think that it is only in my backyard that I have to worry about air quality, that's not true. Uh, air quality is really one that emphasizes that we have to take a global perspective because we can't just close off our borders and say it's not coming in. The more we learn about air pollution, the more we realize that this interconnected source of life for the planet needs to be taken seriously. It's global, it's local, it's visible, it's invisible. It's a problem today that affects so many people. We are all impacted by poor air quality. We can't escape it. However, there are inequities with exposure to poor air quality. And there are inequities that create greater disparities for people's health because of the totality of the environment that they live in. The communal health piece, I think, is harder because we know we have, like, arsenic and heavy metals in our water, but we kind of, I don't know, what do you do about it? You just keep turning on the tap, you know, or we know that we have these horrible spring dust storms and probably our kids should not be playing on the playground in them, but you want them to never play on the playground? And I think just like we have kind of disregarded our own individual health it's easier to disregard our community's health because it sometimes seems too hard to, to repair or to mitigate or I don't know. As with any collective action problem, it can feel daunting as to what any one individual can do. And it's not just today that worries Kyler. My assumptions are somewhat grim for the state of, of farming in the valley in at least the way we do now. I think something will have to look different 30 years from now. And so I've more put my own children's future in those categories of like, will there be water here? Or will there be an economy here? Or will we be able to, you know, grow crops here? Whenever I think about their own like personal health, I think I do a pretty good job of disregarding it just like I do my own because I drink the same arsenic water they drink and so how do you protect your children from something that you can't protect yourself from and if you beat yourself up every day about it that's that's a hard world to walk around in that we take all manner of risks seen and unseen 
and we just assume them for ourselves and so then we have assumed them for our children when they are like oh yeah we had a gym day today because it was so windy and we played in the gymnasium instead of out on the playground i'm like well that was good i guess but then when you're like yeah they had four gym days in a row you're like well that's probably a, a red flag that's being waved at you that says like we should do something about this and yet it seems like such a huge problem but and if your very livelihood is a contributor to the problem it seems hard to kind of get your arms around the trade-offs and problems parents like kyler face are often compounded it's hard for me to understand how to educate my kids and give them the best education here with our school districts we have and staffing issues and host of you know things like that just living in rural america um so now i've got to like try to worry about their lungs too like i i I think uh, one of the fascinating things that humans do so well is compartmentalize, and that's one of those compartments that I just haven't really opened up yet. I think we can all relate to having a deluge of problems facing us every day and how we're all just trying our best. For Kyler, those worries extend beyond the valley. Not only does us tilling the land here affect us, but it affects our, our neighbors, but obviously someone doing it a world away and building a coal mine or whatever affects us as well. And if anything should have made that quite apparent, uh, we have felt the effects of the Canadian wildfires down here. And I could not believe that we saw smoke from Canada down here. And I kept asking people early this summer, like, where is this fire at? And then when you were like, Canada, really? So then when it finally blew in the direction of New York City, and they got to experience it, I was like, man, if that's not some interconnectedness, I don't know what is. You know, we are starting to finally feel how small a planet we live on. Sitting and talking with Kyler has got me thinking about the sheer, sometimes overwhelming complexity of the issues facing the valley and what can be done. So I ask him for advice. Embrace change, because it is coming whether you like it or not. I think embrace the uncomfortable. If you find yourself being uh, diplomatic or defensive, that means you're being uncomfortable. And so that is a learning moment. And uh, anytime you can have a learning moment, you're only going to grow as an individual, and you're only going to gain more knowledge that helps you... uh, in your own operation, your own business, your own life, you know, pass on to your children, a host of things. Like it just makes you a more, not only worldly person, but a more sympathetic and empathetic one, I think as well. And so uh, for whatever reason, we have been trying to stay comfortable and we have been trying to stay ignorant in our country, I think right now, because we are so scared of the uncertainty. And I think once we embrace it, I think we will be far better at handling the challenges of tomorrow. I feel that um, this agrarian lifestyle is one of pragmatic action. And that is something that really speaks to me. I like pragmatism. And so 
you just don't do things just because. And that doesn't mean that we're not without folly, but there's usually a logic to most people's intentions. That is something that is very grounding for me. And I really count my blessings that I, with all my neighbors and friends and peers and different guys, we can have quite verbose conversations about farming practices and ranching and livestock and whether that extends into politics and religion as well. And they are based in some sort of reason and logic. Kyler connects with his neighbors through their shared experiences and challenges. And because of this, he can have rich conversations with them and not need to bring up words like climate change in order to collectively solve problems. I still don't really know why you interviewed me, but I do realize how that is also kind of part of our, I don't know what you call it. It's like our great communal wisdom and then our also great problem at hand is we have all this individual experience and individual knowledge and we have all this lived experience where we can feel our environment and how it's affected us getting a sunburn is a very individual experience but we can talk about being sunburned with someone else you know or or being bitten by a mosquito or whatever i do hope that as we all talk to each other we realize we all have expertise and we all have experience and we can all learn something from each other but then we all have to have a open mind and an eager ear in order to garner it and set our own lived experience aside for a second to appreciate somebody else's and um i don't know if if we're ready for that or not but that seems a necessary thing for us to move forward and and try to overcome not only climate change, but all the other things that our race has to endure on this planet. To learn more about this season, hear other perspectives, and get additional resources, visit clearingtheair.org. And if you're interested in learning more about the water challenges facing the San Luis Valley, check out our season two, Water Under Pressure. Laws of Notion is a production of the Institute for Science and Policy at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. I'm your host, Kristen Uhlenbrock. Editing and marketing by Tricia Waddell, with support from Nicole Delaney and fact-checking by Kate Long. Sound design by Seth Samuel with tracks from Epidemic Sounds and audio support by Jesse Boynton. For a full list of credits, check out the show notes. If you have learned something new, please rate, review, and share the podcast. Thank you for listening.